Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. Hey everyone, this is this is part three in our series, Responding to Your Questions and Comments. In Offscript 28, Seeking a Christian View on Refugees and Immigrants, we concluded on the basis of several scriptures in the Old Testament as well as the Great Commission that Christians should welcome refugees into their countries. In response to this, someone named William wrote an extensive comment, very well expressed, disagreeing with our conclusion there. Here is our response, Offscript Episode 44, Should We Ban Muslim Immigrants? I just wanted to initially state sort of a disclaimer that, first of all, we don't know everything. We are finite and limited. We're trying to give you the best answers that we know, informed by scripture and experience and logic. So we could be wrong. But we're not going to allow the fear of possibly being wrong to silence our mouths to not say anything at all. I mean, we want to figure out how to live authentic Christianity in the 21st century. And we want to be Bereans. Like it says in Acts 17 11, that they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica because, because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So what, what we want to do is we want to look at the, the various issues in our age, at least in, in this off-script series, look at the issues that, that are going on in our age and evaluate them based on the scriptures to see if they're so. And if, if they're not so, then we want to know that they're not so. And we don't want to live radically in opposition to every idea that people have just to be contrarian or something like that. You know, if we're going to take a stand, it needs to be something that Scripture clearly states. And then there's a whole lot of gray area, too. So your questions, your comments, your criticisms, they matter to us. On Offscript episode 28, Seeking a Christian View on Refugees and Immigrants, William made a comment, and Dan's going to talk about that now. Yeah, I just want to reiterate real quick what Sean said and add that we really appreciate that people listen to these episodes, that people engage with them online. And the way that I think about it is that we're all sort of trying to figure it out together. And so your input is definitely a part of that. And that's really what this episode is about, is to um, engage with our audience, uh, exchange ideas, um, and dive a little deeper into some of the topics that we've talked about in the past and that we've had feedback on. So thanks, everyone out there, for engaging with us. The comment that we received on our immigration episode, so we talked about President Trump's immigration ban. And my position on that podcast was I don't really see it as being really effective or good from a foreign policy standpoint or a domestic safety standpoint. So the commenter says, I have to take the other side when it comes to Muslim immigrants coming into this country from the uh, mentioned seven Muslim countries. This ban banned immigrants from seven majority Muslim nations, including Syria, Somalia, Iran, Libya, Chad, Yemen, and, and North Korea which obviously is not a uh, Muslim country. He writes, in December 2015, President Obama signed into law a measure placing limited restrictions on certain travelers who had visited these countries. Two months later, the Obama administration added Libya, Somalia, and Yemen to the list in what it called an effort to address the growing threat from foreign terrorist fighters. Um, I didn't research to see what uh, Obama's immigration ban 
was about. Um, but I'll take this commenter at his word. So he goes on to say Trump's temporary 90 day ban was justified considering he is coming into office. And now it's his problem to solve and protect the American people from terrorism. He goes on to say that he doesn't support Trump in everything in all his policies, but he does in this one. And then he says, I do agree with the temporary ban to come up with a way of vetting refugees who come with less than amiable intentions. And he mentions Exodus 23, 9, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of the sojourner for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. So this commenter says the keyword for me is heart, the heart of the sojourner. What are the intentions of the refugee? Do they plan to live among you and abide in God's law? If they don't, do you still accept them as your brother, even if they want to kill you or convert you through force? So it goes on in, in that vein. So what I'll say to this is simply that the ban on immigrants from majority Muslim nations, it's not shown to, to be effective at all and can actually work against our aims from a foreign policy standpoint. So in doing research to address this question, I knew in my mind that when it comes to gun violence and terror attacks, people are much more likely to be shot and victimized by white men than they are by an immigrant from another country. So I sort of had that in my brain just from watching the news in the past, you know, however many years. But when I really dug into it, it was surprising. There's a Vox.com article that says, according to the study by New America, which is a nonpartisan think tank in, in D.C., it says between 2001 and 2015, more Americans were killed by homegrown right-wing extremists than by Islamist terrorists. And what struck me is that, I mean, the numbers are pretty, the numbers are pretty significant when you stack up the amount of people that were killed by gun violence and terror attacks by, you know, white men, as opposed to say in San Bernardino in 2015, which was a Islamist motivated attack. But talking about homegrown right-wing extremism isn't really going to get people going. It's, it's a difficult thorny subject. It doesn't bring out the same sort of nationalistic emotions and tendencies that talking about Muslims from another country coming in and, and dominating us and, and changing our way of life. It's, you don't have the same impact. So it's just, it kind of, first of all, first of all, it struck me that the political point that is being made with the ban is, is, Hey, this is for our own safety and we have to protect our borders. But really the threat from terror and attacks and, and gun violence it's really coming from within our own borders. In fact, um, to dig a little deeper into it, what I found in, in, in preparing for this question was that even in attacks that are motivated by Islamic extremism, the vast majority are perpetrated by, still perpetrated by U.S. citizens or by people that were here for years before they carried out their crimes. So... This is another Vox.com article. It says a Cato Institute researcher looked at data on terrorism and immigration from nine different sources covering 1975 through 2015. He counted any attack on U.S. soil in which an immigrant participated as a terrorist attack by immigrants, even if some native-born Americans also helped in its planning or execution. Virtually all the deaths from Im immigrant attacks, 98.6%, came from one event, 9-11. Other than that, fatal immigrant-linked terrorist attacks in the U.S. are vanishingly rare, and ones linked to refugees, specifically, rarer still. The average likelihood of an American being killed in a terrorist attack in which any kind of immigrant participated in any given year is 1 in 3.6 million, even including the 9-11 deaths. So that tells me that, number one, the threat of immigrants coming in and committing terrorist attacks on our soil 
it is a threat, but it's not as big a threat by orders of magnitude as extremists within our own borders. And of those Islamist extremist attacks that do occur in the U.S., the vast majority are still committed by, by citizens or by naturalized citizens. So, for instance, um, this is from that same, that second Vox.com article. It says, the 2015 San Bernardino shooting that killed 14 people was carried out by an American-born U.S. citizen of Pakistani descent and a lawful permanent U.S. resident of Pakistani descent. The Orlando nightclub shooter who murdered 49 people was an American-born U.S. citizen of Afghan descent. The Boston Marathon bombers, who identified as ethnic Chechen, came to the U.S. from Kyrgyzstan and grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, before carrying out attacks that left three dead. Faisal Shahzad, the attempted Times Square bomber, was Pakistani-American. Nadal Hassan, who killed 13 people at Fort Hood in 2009, was born in Virginia to Palestinian parents. So those are the, the main Islamist-motivated attacks that have occurred in the last several years and virtually all of them come from citizens of the u.s or people that are naturalized and have been here for years so what all this adds up to me is that claiming that we have to close our borders to muslims because some of them might be terrorists is a fear tactic it's designed to play to our nationalistic biases and the evidence is simply not there that this is a genuine threat in the vast majority of gun attacks perpetrated on u.s soil it's far more likely that the attacker is a white male and a u.s citizen Trump's ban and Obama's ban before him, if indeed that's accurate, I don't think they do anything to keep us safe from the threat of Muslim extremism. All it does is stokes people, it stokes people's fear of outsiders, and it's a fear tactic designed to drum up votes. And it works. It can also be used as evidence by actual Muslim extremists as just another injustice perpetrated by the U.S. upon Muslims. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for screenings. I don't think we should have completely porous borders with no control. But I don't think that telling people from predominantly Muslim countries that they can't come into the country is doing anything for our image abroad or our image domestically. I just think overall it's a backwards and ineffective strategy. And the commenter goes on to say that part of his comment was, you know, do these immigrants plan to live among you and abide in God's law? I don't see anywhere in Exodus 23 where a prerequisite of um, treating the sojourner kindly is that they assimilate into your culture and believe your God. It says in Exodus 23, 9, you shall not oppress a stranger since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger for you also were strangers in the land of Egypt. I don't see anywhere in that verse or the surrounding verses that you shall not oppress a sojourner if they agree to adopt your God and your culture. It's, it's not what it says. So the commenters talk of assimilating and living under God's law, I don't think is, is a biblical, biblically based belief. And so in summary, what I'll say is that I think the ban is ineffective and counterproductive. It's a political tool that exploits fear and racism, and it creates an us versus them mentality that is contrary to the attitude that we as Christians are commanded to have towards outsiders and towards people in general. I don't see it as an unfortunate but necessary safeguard. Uh, I don't think the data backs that up. And I certainly don't see love. I see love in Jesus' words in Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, when a man traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem fell among robbers and his own countrymen, people who claimed to be religious, declined to help him. But a stranger who one would not expect to help showed love and compassion and saved the man's life. My question to people that would support the ban or are thinking about this issue is how many minds can be changed by radical love like that? And how many barriers of racism and nationalism could be torn down by that? by that kind of radical love. And that's the attitude that I, that I think we should have towards outsiders, not, hey, stay away because we're afraid that, that, that you might shoot us, even though our own countrymen are shooting us at a far higher rate. It's, it's a little silly if you look at it. And 
what I'll close with is in Luke 10, Jesus is wrapping up his parable, the Good Samaritan. He says in um, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the man he was talking to answered Jesus and said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. I don't see a Muslim ban as being merciful or loving at all. I see it as being counterproductive and ineffective. And it's something that we need to, you know, really think about how Jesus' words intersect with those kinds of policies and the message that we're sending as a country out to the outside world. And even as Christians, the message that we're sending in, you know, supporting those types of policies. Dan, thank you so much for that well-researched response. I think there are a couple things just to push back a little to to keep in mind. First of all, I like that your approach is fact-driven. Your your point was that you're more likely to get shot by a white American male than to be killed by a terrorist, an immigrant terrorist. But the problem with that reasoning is that that's because we have these strict policies in place. If we did have more immigration, especially refugees from these countries, then that fact would no longer be that way. You would be getting killed more frequently well, by no, these others. No, we're talking about the effectiveness of banning immigration from seven majority Muslim countries. We're not talking about our immigration policy as a whole. The commenter said that he's in favor of the ban basically because it protects the American people. Right. And I'm saying that that's not true. It, it has not been shown to protect the American people. At but every, the ban is only so many months old, right? So how would you even know if it's protecting or not protecting? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. But from 2001 to 2015, prior to the ban, right. none of the terrorist attacks that came from an Islamist extremist point of view came from anybody that was who belonged to any of those countries. Okay, so that's, that is a much sharper point. Thank you for clarifying that. All right, so... What, what you're saying then is that these seven countries are not in the, in the, uh, the sample you, you cited, 2001 to 2015, these, the immigrants from these countries are not killing Americans. No, Americans are killing Americans. Okay. So and, then banning them is superfluous. I mean, it's just not going to do anything. Well, it's counterproductive. I mean, so you're saying, hey, because you come from a Muslim country, you're not allowed in the country. What, what kind of message does that send out? To, and, and, if, and if it was proved to be effective, like, hey, we, we prevented this plot from happening because we banned somebody from the Sudan, then, you know, we could talk about risk versus reward. Mm -hmm. But the evidence is that of the terrorist attacks that occur and are motivated by Muslim extremism, they're still perpetrated by Americans and a ban on refugees or a ban on refugees from certain countries wouldn't have done anything to prevent them. So if you look at the, the data historically, it's just, it's, it doesn't seem to be the reward that we get, which I don't really see any reward is not worth what we're projecting out to other, to, to these countries. And to a point that we made earlier, it's, it's, we run the risk of further alienating Muslims and actual Muslim terrorists can, can look at this and say like, here's another example of how they persecute our people. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, you're, you're saying that it's good to get more Muslims in the country. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. Well, I think this is what you're saying. I think you're saying it's good to get more Muslims in the country because then they get, they get exposure to what America's like. And there are opportunities for Christians then to show them radical love. And even if that person is a Muslim extremist, 
prone to violence, perhaps they could encounter a Christian in their life and that could have an impact on them. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that statement, but I'm, my overarching point is that the, the, the ban on Muslims from these countries is not protecting anybody. And we run the risk of further alienating the Muslim, Muslim people across the world. Okay. And I'd also stress the point of if terrorism is such a big issue and, and terrorism tied to immigration, it's being made out to be a, a bigger issue than it is when, when compared to domestic homegrown violence that claims dozens of lives every year that, I mean, we just, in Vegas, there was a shooting that, that killed 50 people. Um, Dylan Roof went into a church and shot. I mean, these are all white men. And when you stack up the, the body count for, for white men that have, for whatever reasons that they have, next to Muslim extremists who are already U.S. citizens anyway, it's, it's negligible. Right. It, this, is, this is also a red herring because we're not talking about American terrorism here. We're talking about a specific ban from these countries. So, I mean, I, I think your, your point is valid that comparably the threat is much higher. But regardless, I mean, if you're somebody that's, a, that's for the ban, like William... Our, our listener who wrote in, then you're going to you're going to be for the ban because you believe that that if it were otherwise, then there would be a much greater risk of future terrorism. Well, why would you believe that when when in the last 15 years that just hasn't been the case? You you believe it because the situation with ISIS in in the Middle East, you know that they have people that do want to kill Americans. Sure. I mean, and I and I agree um, and ISIS so, is a threat. I don't think the way to deal with that threat though is to ban Muslims from these countries. Right. The data just doesn't back up that data just doesn't bear out that that's a sound policy. Right. Now, we said last time and if you haven't listened to this yet, go check out episode 28, Offscript 28 where we talked about a Christian view on refugees and immigrants. We read out a number of the verses in the Bible that talk about loving the stranger, probably the strongest of which was Leviticus 19.35, where it says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so uh, there is kind of like a streak of hospitality, uh, we would say, for the foreigner, for the stranger, and I, I think it's important to keep in mind that there is a certain heart. Now, to William's point on will we allow them to, to worship other gods and all this, that's where I think the parallel really breaks down. Because in Old Testament times, okay, when Leviticus was written and there was a, a country of Israel living under the law that Moses had given them of God's Torah and so on, that uh, during that period where you had kings and so on, you would not be allowed, like say uh, Ruth came from Moab. She was a Moabitess. She's from another country. She came and she lived in Israel, in Bethlehem, right? She, was, she would not be free to go worship idols. You know what I mean? Because in Israel, they're under a covenant. You want to be with us, you got to live like us. That doesn't mean she couldn't eat like Moabite food, right? <laughs> if, I mean, there, there are obviously some things that would be tolerated, but like Worshipping Chemosh, which is the god of the Moabites, would have been absolutely unacceptable in Bethlehem. So I think that that's pretty clear. Now, America is not a theocracy. America is not a state religion. America does not have an established state religion. It's a pluralist society. So it allows religious freedom. And we've talked about this a lot in the past. And this is something that we've all said we're very thankful for. So in light of the difference then, 
you know, I, I, I feel like there is a moot point as far as like, okay, you're going to let them in, but then they're going to worship other gods, and we, we'll be fine with that. But at the same time, there's a lot of people concerned also about the culture in America, that the culture is going to change, and that we're going to see a loss of our, I don't know, cultural values or something like that. What would you, how would you respond to that one? Like, say, for example, you had 20, 30, 40% over, say, the next 50 years now of the population is from a Muslim country. Yeah. Right? Like, it would change, the, it would change America. America would be a different country. Sure. What I would say to that is cultures are always changing, especially in a country like the U.S., where you have so many people that are from different places. And I think it's a pretty futile pursuit to try to stop a country's culture from changing. So if the motivation for stopping Muslims from coming into the country isn't because you're afraid of terrorism, it's because you're afraid of the country changing. Right. It's almost like an ethnocentric argument. Yeah. Like what are you protecting your culture? Right. Well, what's your overall, like that to me is sort of, it's a little too reminiscent of, xenophobia and nationalism for for my taste i don't think we should be seeking to preserve our way of life whatever that means at the expense of not loving other people especially in a country like the united states where in 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 the most populous city in the country in new york city we have chinatown and we have little italy and we have koreatown and uh, in Brooklyn, there's uh, Polish communities, there's Russian communities. I mean, we we already have this multivaried cultural landscape. You might not see it because you're in your culture and they're in theirs, but go down to go down to Chinatown sometime. Like they don't speak English in Chinatown; they speak Chinese. They speak English too, but like amongst themselves in their community, they speak Chinese. They associate with Chinese people. They live with each other. They eat their own food. They use their own transportation. It's, for all intents and purposes, a Chinese outpost in America. And so we have, we already have, it's already here. Whether or not you see it and whether you're, or not you're comfortable with so-called rising levels of, of, of you know, the culture changing, that's, that's irrelevant. To try to stop your culture from changing by banning people is not a Christian attitude. And it's not really going to be effective at all anyway. Cultures are always changing. A lot, there's a lot of different people crammed into this country doing their own thing. And to worry about that is, is to me, kind of pointless and not how we want to act out our Christianity. Um, I mean, just to look at um, the past of us as a nation, so the term melting pot has always been thrown around, and we are maybe not as much of a melting pot as, you know, a patchwork quilt, uh, to your point, on Chinatown. And we have not always treated immigrants well, even um, back in the glory days of Ellis Island. And the, and the country profited greatly from that diversity from all the people that came in and really did change our culture, but we haven't always treated them the best. In um, that instance, I think the, com- or the the nation largely profited from that influx of immigrants, and and we grew and the industrial revolution and all of that, and then you know the progressive movement sort of arose out of a lot of abuses during that time. We have the opportunity now um, to have learned from the mistakes of the past to accept um, an influx of people, particularly refugees who really need it. Um, who really need a homeland, but we have the opportunity to learn from the mistakes of the past and treat them with respect, treat them well, treat them as fellow Americans, um, and to build a better, um, a stronger, and um, 
you know, as Christians, like a more um, loving melting pot. The kingdom will be a melting pot anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will be a true melting pot where the one thing that we have in common and the only thing that matters um, is that we are citizens of the kingdom of Christ. So we look forward to that day. And in the meantime, we have the opportunity to live like that now. All right. So this obviously is a difficult issue, immigration in general, right? As far as the ban goes, I think that's a little easier because you have offered a data-driven response, Dan. As far as refugees go, I refer you to our last episode where we spoke very strongly on the refugee issue. As far as immigrants in general go, obviously you've got to put a limit on it and you've got to figure out which countries to let in and how many and you can't ha- you can't just fling open the doors or else you just get overrun and and we don't have the structures and systems in place to accommodate just anybody who wants to come and neither does any other country i mean all countries deal with this issue we're not we're not trying to lay out some sort of like extensive immigration policy here we're just kind of sketching with broad strokes a general uh, view of strangers or foreigners that the Bible has, which is very kind and hospitable. And I think as Christians, in particular, Dan's point earlier on the evangelistic potential is is really phenomenal. I mean, how cool is it that other nations want to come here? How much easier does it make it to fulfill the Great Commission where Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations? Well, if the nations are all coming mm-hmm. here and they're all in Chinatown and Koreatown and Polish town, whatever <laughs> other towns in New York City, how much easier is it to fulfill that great commission and to spread the incredible faith and, and tell of what Jesus has done for us and what he's planning to do in the future and so on. So uh, that's enough for that one. Let's end it here for today. Check out Offscript 28, Seeking a Christian View of Refugees and Immigrants, if you haven't already, to hear our original take on this question. And feel free to to join your voice in if you disagree with where we landed on this one. I mean, this is a hard issue. There are multiple facets, and this is a real gray area. So if you disagree with our take, please come online and visit restitutio.org to leave your comment and your comeback to this episode. This was number 44, Should We Ban Muslim Immigrants? And we'd love to hear from you and to continue to reason this issue through. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time as we seek to get off the world script and live out authentic Christianity.